From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. Hello, listeners. Just a heads up. We do talk about the sacrifice game, including uh, spoilers in this beginning interview section. So if you haven't seen the sacrifice game, please do so or skip ahead. We'll put the time codes in the episode notes. Thank you. And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest or guests bring with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. Uh, this week, I'm very excited because I ha- we have Jen Wexler, the director and co-writer of The Sacrifice Game with us, along with Sean Redlitz, who also co-wrote The Sacrifice Game, a movie that I think is one of the best new Christmas horror movies ever i'm not biased at all about this interview hello welcome to our show hello hi thanks for having us this movie is your the new movie is so categorically my shit i could not (laughs) be like (laughs) my new favorite holiday horror movie well there are some great ones out there so it's kind of a just even being in the category of among the favorites is just an honor because we knew we were standing in the shadow of giants but so, okay, so tell so tell us tell our listeners who haven't seen it, and if you have it, it's on Shutter. Uh, what the Sacrifice Game is about? The Sacrifice Game takes place in the early '70s in 1971, and it's about a couple of girls who are stuck at their boarding school over Christmas uh, when a gang of Manson-esque cult killers comes to the school, intending to raise a demon, and the girls must fight to survive the night. Hell Perfect. Yeah. So the thing is, is that like, I don't I'm, I'm an atheist. And yet, like, I kind of love these kinds of stories, particularly about like, the idea of demonic summoning and, and dark magic and that kind of stuff. Did you have to do a lot? Did you do a lot of research for for this for this movie and, and the kind of like how to tackle like the d- demonic summoning aspect of it i did and i am i'm an atheist too and yet i don't know we're all full of contradictions and yet i'm scared of demons and i don't want to piss demons off so i um i read a lot about like the lesser key of solomon and about the different like 
72 demons and their various traits. And then I decided that I wanted to uh, create my own demon because I didn't want to use one that actually existed because I didn't want to accidentally summon a real demon. I get that. I get that better safe than sorry situation. You're like, I don't want to find out. I don't want to test if this is real or not. Some people put Paduzu in their movie. Some people put Paimon in their movie. You know, on the off chance they happen to be real, you might be asking for trouble. So you make up your own demon, you're kind of in safer territory. Yeah. So, but, but, but I looked at the traits of those demons and then kind of like picked, chose traits that, that I felt would fit our Clara demon, who um, is actually. Spoilers right out the gate. Oh, these are spoilers. (laughs) There's spoilers on this podcast. The what what the demon is called in the movie is uh Saralk, which there's a little trick to that name, but we can get into that later if we want to. So I just had an epiphany because I've talked uh on the podcast before and with Mary Beth about my time as a young kid growing up with a dad that collected occult books and my attempt to summon a demon. And I just realized with you saying this, that the book that, that we were studying was The Lesser Key of Solomon. That was the book that my dad had that I we attempted to do one of the summoning rituals from it. It didn't have all the ingredients, obviously. It was like had required gold and a bunch of other shit. But I could not for the life of me remember what the book was called until just this moment with you saying that. Your dad sounds really cool, number one. And number two, it's hard to like summon a demon. Like there's a lot of yeah, steps. These rituals have like, many, many steps. <laughs> and Sean and I were certainly thinking about how complicated these rituals are. And then we made our own complicated ritual. That's what I I love in my head. Like I love thinking about how the demon figured out like the, the crazy ass steps he wanted. It's like, it's like, all right, here's all the options you have. How do you want to like arrange them for people to summon you? And they're like, oh boy, yay. Like what weird archaic <laughs> things do they need to like, it just brings me joy to think about that. Like if you are a demon in my head, just thinking about the demon figuring out all the different ways, like the diabolical ways to bring them back to life. It's, it's, it's like demon Pinterest. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Amazing. Um, but obviously this is a holiday movie, but why did you pick the holidays? Like you technically this movie could have really been any time if you really wanted it to be, but it makes so much sense with the snow and like the glow of Christmas light. So why, like what drew you both and it was whose idea at first was it to have it be a holiday horror movie? Um, I wrote the script in 2013, like the first draft of the script. And it w- at that point, it was it had its like core elements. Like it was a Christmas movie. It took place oh, cool. on Christmas. It was home invasion meets uh, supernatural possession. Since we're deep in spoiler territory already, I'll say that my original version of the script had Clara being possessed by a demon. And then when uh, Sean and I started working on it together in 2018, Sean came up with the brilliant concept of uh, what if Clara is the demon? And that like unlocked the story for me. And I was like, take the laptop, Sean. You have earned it. Yeah, Jen's original inspiration, besides matching up just some of our favorite genres, was this gang comes in, they think they have all the power, but then the seemingly least powerful person in the setting turns out to have the control. And to me, it's like, well, why not just push that a step further? Why make mm. it a demon possessing the least powerful seeming person there? Why not make it actually that person? So that was a natural jump for me. 
And um, as, as you both know, I spent many years at Shudder, so I watch a lot of horror movies. I've seen a lot of different variations, great ones on Possession, but this is one we hadn't seen before. I'm sure somebody listening out there is going to go, oh, no, that was done in 1968 in Spain, and here's the... Okay, yep. we haven't seen it, and we were excited to try it. And then in terms of the Christmas um, element, like, so it was a natural, you know, they love holidays. You could set it in. It could be Thanksgiving. It could be uh, spring break. But Christmas, it, it felt so specific to the themes that we wanted to explore with like family and feeling alone and um, finding connection. And, you know, Christmas is just like, it's so sad to for like a teenager to feel like they have yeah. nobody on Christmas. And I wanted to torture my characters as much as possible. So uh, <laughs> Christmas, Christmas felt right. Hell yeah. It's. So speaking of like the the sadness surrounding Christmas and and the holidays and how lonesome the school feels with just a handful of people left in it, um, I it's it's funny to me that I just recently watched The Holdovers and I was like these two movies would be paired perfectly together. Did you see the Polygon article about that? No, I didn't. Oh, it's so funny. Dennis a Polygon just wrote an article that was like The Holdovers and The Sacrifice Game are hand in hand, like the best movies of the holiday season. I was best, like, best oh, holiday double like, feature. Yes, that's what it is. I need to see The Holdovers still. Uh, this it's makes really me good. see it. Even more. It is really good. <laughs> It was just fun. You know, I'm a big fan of Alexander Payne. Like, Election is one of my favorite movies of all time. So I'm in that movie. You're in Election? Yeah. Who are you in Election? So, well, one of my one of my parts got cut, but then um there so the only part that really made into the film and it's just a, it's a, it's in the picture, there's the teacher that is uh messing around with a student and he I think is like the he's in the newspaper element and so like Tracy has to go in there and digitally remove him and i'm standing behind her character in the in the in the movie i am going to go back and rewatch it immediately and look for you that's amazing so you've been directed by alexander payne yeah cool that's a cool experience and i got to meet him cuz i'm from i'm from omaha and so i got to meet him cuz he's a he's a nebraskan director and um w when i was taking this this is so boring but, but when i was when i was taking a screenwriting course the director the the screenwriter introduced us to alexander payne and we got to meet with him and stuff and it was it was kind of cool wow that's so cool wait have you seen his movie nebraska i love that movie that movie's such yeah. shit anyway sorry <laughs> getting off the rails talking about <laughs> alexander payne if alexander's out there listening or um paul giamatti please check out our film we love yours we hope yes you you appreciate the horror version of the same scenario. Yes, exactly. Uh, so okay, so you talked about sort of like the genres that that um that you both like. What so let's let's take it back to being a kid. How did you both get introduced to the horror genre? And as a kid, did you have favorites that you sort of um gravitated towards, like in terms of like subgenres? So aside from you know the movie that we'll talk about soon, um one of the big things that I was obsessed with as a kid was, are you afraid of the dark? Uh, and mm -hmm. I think that was my first like horror, horror obsession. Um, I think that is really what I can look to that, like open the doors of horror to my mind. And, and, and then I became the kid who was like during recess, like trying to get her friends to like do seances in the, <laughs> uh, in the, you know in the gym or whatever outside or like I would 
try to get my friends to go hang out at the graveyard after school. Hell yeah. Like, when I hit like 10 years old, then horror became like a huge obsession, especially that's when like in the late 90s, all the teen slashers were coming out like Scream and I know we did last summer and all of those. So, so Jen is a millennial and I am Gen X and uh, like a lot of Gen Xers, I was raised by television. So mm-hmm. um, uh, working parents, taking care of myself a lot of the time. So after school, it was always the four o'clock movie on the local, I think it was channel five, maybe it was channel 11. I can't remember, but the local non-network affiliate. And sometimes it was Jerry Lewis movies or other random things that I would necessarily have chosen, but they were there. But a lot of the times, uh, I guess, because they rated well, they were horror movies or, or sort of that 50s atomic horror kind of stuff. So yep. whenever it was Universal Monsters Week, um, I loved it. Or whenever I could track down Adam Costello, meet the Wolfman on, um, yes. you know, on, on the weekends, I fell in love with all the Universal Monsters. I had posters on the wall when I was a kid. I dressed up as Dracula for Halloween. My, I had a lovely satiny cape and fangs and stuff. Uh, and, and and that was kind of really my touchstone in terms of getting to know the genre. I wasn't as tapped. I didn't have that friend who watched all the slashers and made you sit through them when you weren't ready to do that. So I didn't gravitate like a lot of my peers to the to the to the Friday the 13th and the Halloween things until much later in life. But I went from kind of Universal Monsters to Freddy Krueger um, because yes. he kind of fit that same mold. You know, something not of this world could really get you uh, that I really loved. What what I love about interviewing people is is finding the commonalities where like, Jen, I think we would have been best friends because I, too, would have been trying to to do seances at, at lunchtime. And yeah. then, Sean, my my path was basically yours. My dad loved um, Universal Monster movies. So that's what I was introduced to. And then Freddy Krueger was my favorite. He was the only slasher that. I like migrated to I've seen some of the other ones when I was a kid, but like Freddie was my was my guy. And you're right. It's because there is that element of the universal monster in him. And I also dressed up as Dracula a lot as a kid in for <laughs> Halloween. So like this is like there's like a Venn diagram happening here. <laughs> yeah, Terry, in uh, Nebraska, you're leading a parallel life. There we you go. <laughs> Worlds apart. Wait, so then um, were either of your parents into horror at all? Like, did they help introduce you to weird stuff? OK, cool. Yeah. <laughs> My, my dad was into like mafia movies. Oh, okay. okay. So that okay. was, you know, he, he liked Scorsese and stuff, but, but not horror. And my, my mom certainly did not like horror. And so for me, watching horror movies was a total act of rebellion. Uh, yeah. my, my parents okay. also weren't into horror, but um, that was never something that they introduced us to. But I will say, and I only came up to this realization a few days ago, Jen and I were talking my my dad's dad, my grandfather, um, came over from Europe after World War II. He's a Holocaust survivor. He had an Eastern European accent. And I think maybe subconsciously as a kid, Dracula and Poland, where he came from, the accent was kind of similar. He had dark hair, he, sort of Eastern European features. So I must have must have been something in my young brain that grabbed onto that. Yeah. My grandpa's <laughs> Bella Lugosi. Um <laughs> <laughs> You know, some kids wish that that they wake up one morning and discover that they're really a prince or a princess, you know, from other parents. I I guess I secretly wanted to be Dracula's kid. Hey, I love that. <laughs> that would be my dream. I wanted to be a vampire when I was a kid, so <laughs> so it's fine. Although ironically, being a kid is the worst time to be a vampire. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. Into it a little. Yeah. Uh. Um, I didn't think about that. I was like, you just so cool. I don't. 
whatever. Uh, but were either of you like super scared or easily scared as kids? I was not scared. I was, I, I, I loved the feeling of being scared because it made me feel like I was in a movie. I remember uh, like when my parents, when I was like 12, my parents would go out and leave me home alone. I remember just like walking around my house just like playing these weird fantasy games where I'm just walking around my house as if like the house is haunted or somebody else is in the house and just like playing out these weird horror movie fantasies by myself in my family home. And I'm the opposite. I was easily scared as a child. Um, Growing up, we lived in a two family house with my mom's parents above and and us on the, on the, the floor below in the basement and you had to go into the dark, dark basement to find the light switch to turn on the basement. So whenever it was like, of course, oh, could you get that from the basement? It was always this paralyzing moment of like hoping to not disturb whatever dark forces were there in the darkness until I could flip on the light switch. You know, I was safe and then flipping it off and sprinting up the stairs uh, before whatever it was came sprang into action so I could get away. I, I feel like elect- electricians hate kids because the <laughs> amount of times I hear about the light switch not being at the top of the stairs or someplace accessible is mm-hmm. more than a couple. And so I think that electricians are like, <laughs> I'm going to fuck this kid up. Exactly. Windowless basement is an electrician's like playground. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's, it sounds like we have a little bit of um, not scared, but also scared for, for both of you. Um, what, what is it like being an adult watching horror movies? Do you get scared at all? Or um, have you seen too many that you're kind of like, me and Mary Beth and are, are a little bit jaded on the scare aspect. It takes a lot to scare us. Yeah. One TV show in particular that is, you know, terrifying. Yeah. When, when something does succeed in scaring me, it's like, mm-hmm. wow, good job. Because we do, we see so many horror movies, but the show he's referring to is Marianne, which is the scariest yes. thing I've ever seen in my life. And everyone should go watch it on Netflix immediately. Crime that did not get renewed for a second season. That one was scary. A perfect first season is still a wonderful thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Did you guys watch Cobweb, his movie yet? Yes. I just want to make it more stuff. He's good at like really like modern whimsy is my favorite way to describe Mm -hmm. him. Dark whimsy, but not like too fantasy-y. I don't know. I like the term modern whimsy. I do too. I do too. You can relate to that. Yeah. Actually, speaking of modern whimsy, honestly, uh, I think that's a good way to transition into your us guard for life pick, <laughs> Jen. Uh, what movie did you bring with you today for us <laughs> to discuss? I brought a movie from 1978 called Jacob Tutu Meets the Hooded Fang. Um, incredible. Have never had never heard of it until you brought it up. And in this Same. film, a six-year-old boy has a dream in which he is in jail. That's the that's IMDb it. synopsis, and boy. <laughs> Does that does that bury the lead on what what happens in this in this movie? So this was definitely you had mentioned, Jen, in your email about obscure pick. And I had never heard of this movie before. But take us back. How did you see this movie? How old were you? What about it scared you? Give us your horror story. Okay, I think I had to have been around five years old or something. And I think and the reason I keep saying I think is because really what this movie was, I saw the movie at some point when I was a kid. I tried to figure out when a couple of years later, or really for the next 10, 20 years, like what this movie was. And I thought that I dreamed this movie. I thought that it was just some crazy nightmare I had. 
And all that I remembered about the movie, there were like pieces, like the way you remember a nightmare or a dream. Like mm. I remembered a kid and he was in prison and every night he would eat a little piece of a Hershey's chocolate bar before he went to bed. And that there was monsters that were in control of the prison. And I truly felt like I had made it up because I would ask people and everybody was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And back in 2012 or something, I did try to do this Google search and I wasn't coming up with anything. Maybe a year later, Sean did a Google search and he tracked down the name of the movie and it was like, and we're talking like an hours and hours Google search. Um, he finally tracked wow. down that it wasn't just something in my head. And then uh, for the, then. Yeah, based on kid chocolate bar prison. Like that's all I had to go on. <laughs> um, and movie, I guess, to, to be fair. But like, you know, that, that was it. And that's why it took us so long to find. But then, okay, so then it's like, okay, great. We know what this movie is, but we couldn't watch it or whatever in 2013. And then, um when you guys uh, sent me, you know, what the note about what, what, what movie scarred me, I did another internet search. So now we're in 2023. The internet has gotten so much better guys mm. uh, because this time I was able to track it down way faster and find a link to watch it. But anyway, when I was a kid, I feel like it had to have been a VHS that I gotten from the video store. Cause I know I watched it a lot of times but I'm also like, I don't feel like it was on TV. Like what channel would this have been on? My guess is that, you know, it was probably in the kids section because ostensibly it's a kids movie. I don't know. We can talk about that. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, an innocent parent rents it or maybe buys it for like $1.99 in the bargain bin and says, oh, this, nope. I'll give this to my kid. I'll sit them in front of it. Everything will be fine. Pays no attention to what's happening on screen. And five-year-old Jen is now in 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 communion with this this work of mad art. Let's just say mad art. I like that descriptor. So you got. It sounds like you kind of had little bits and pieces of of memory about this. Do you remember why this is your scarred for life pick, or what was the thing that like stuck with you for all those years? I think it just had to do with the feeling that I knew this thing was real, but nobody else knew what this yeah. was. Like, and that, that feeling where, you know, you feel like you're almost being like gaslit by the world or like you're crazy for knowing this entire world. I mean, there's other movies that have left a similar mark, but I know what they are, which is like Return to Oz is. Mm. Yeah. But we all, so we all, we know what that is. We all share that like nightmare of a movie but at least we know, like, we didn't invent that. This, I started to feel like I made this up. And that's why it stuck with me. Because it was something I never found closure on until right. recently. I mean, you know, that's the thing that, like, I think I think those that are maybe in, like, Gen Z and and, and later, um, or earlier, I guess would be the correct term, will, will, will not run into, I don't think, is that when we were growing up in, like, the 80s, and like the 90s and internet does not exist and there's no easy way to track down there's no like easy way to track this stuff down and so you'll see something as a kid and you'll just have like this little memory of maybe a specific scene or or some feeling of of watching it as a kid and there's no way for you to know what that is and so i i think that's so fascinating that it was 2012 or 2013 and then 2023 that you're able to like piece together this fever dream of a movie that's wild to me and look, if uh, you're five, it's a pretty scary film. 
it's it's fun to go back and look at these things. And I'm sure for you know an eight or nine year old, this is probably relatively safe gateway horror. It reminded me a little bit of sort of the Sid and Marty Croft um, Saturday morning shows with the kind of over the top villains in costumes and funny voices and almost sort of um, vaudevillian kind of shtick. Um, yeah. But, uh, but if you see it at an age where you don't can't really tell the difference between serious and 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 camp, uh, it can it can strike you in the heart and stick there. Well, especially because the whole thing feels like a fever dream too. Like the like the way it's paced is just like. It, it feels like Al- it's like an Alice in Wonderland-esque kind of situation where you're just falling down a broken escalator, in this case, into a prison for children who are mean to adults. <laughs> and, and there's something about kind of low-budget, I'm assuming tax-shelter Canadian productions from the 70s, <laughs> this, is, this specifically being French-Canadian production in the 70s, that makes it less safe than, say, um, you know, a... a, a Charlie and the Chocolate, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, Charlie and Chocolate Factory kind of movie where- Or Disney. Or Disney, bed knobs and broomsticks. You know, there's there's definitely things in the same neighborhood. They feel more polished. They feel more, oh, there are adults behind this. It's under control. This movie feels like it could have been made by a child. It's so- Exactly. Angry. Yeah. Yes. This oh does God. feel like, uh, so this was, again, the first time that I had seen this movie. First time that I even heard of this movie. I, I tweeted out as like, has, I'm watching this for podcast prep. Has anyone ever seen this? And I had gotten a couple messages from um, people in, from Canada that apparently this is a Canadian classic. And they're like, <laughs> and people that had had not maybe seen this one are familiar with Jacob Tutu, with the books, with the, the 1999 movie that stars Gary Busey in it with the cartoon that they did like so there is like a cultural footprint for this movie and i'm i'm like so this is it comes across maybe as maybe this uh just this canadian thing that somehow you picked up at some point jen that's it's just yeah. it's wild and interestingly one of um so we rewatched it and we separately we shot the sacrifice game in montreal and our producers are from Montreal. So I texted one of the producers being like, have you heard of this movie? And he was like, as you were saying, like, oh yeah, that's a Canadian classic. That was like one of my favorites as a kid. And in re in looking at the movie now, I'm like, oh, I bet you like, I bet you that that was shot in like this park there. Somebody that worked on a sacrifice game who's um, an older gentleman knew some of the crew that had worked oh, wow. on this. No uh, way. So okay. I, I did a little bit of like detective research now that I've actually worked in Montreal to kind of get an understanding of like, you know, who do I know who is also knows people who worked on that movie. Wow. And we're just slowly being brought back to Jacob Tutu meets the hooded fang with the sacrifice yeah. game really is what it was. <laughs> you were being brought together with this movie. You're going to make the remake uh, in, in 2024. <laughs> it's like a dream now, honestly. <laughs> the- I was, and I was talking when I was talking. I texted Terry earlier, and I watched it, and I was like, "What? This is for children?" And I, I see why it's for children, but I also feel like the adults in this are so incredibly terrifying. Which obviously is the point when you are a child, and adults are probably the most terrifying thing. But like the creepy factor of every single adult character in this, again, return to Oz vibes, but just something about, especially the hooded Fang and his desire for children to be scared of him and to love him. <laughs> Just watching it as an adult, I'm like, this is just 
deeply off-putting in every sense of the word. So Mary Beth, did you recognize or look up who plays the Hooded Fang? Uh, no, I don't think I did actually. Um, the Hooded Fang is a former wrestler and football player turned actor named Alex Karras. Probably oh. best, best known for being Mongo in Blazing Saddles, who punches a horse in the face. Uh, he also was the dad on a TV show called Webster, which is probably best forgotten, but um, uh, but a sitcom uh, where he was the adopted dad of a small black boy. Uh, I, I remember that. Because that was a thing they did back then um, yep. <laughs> in the 80s on television. But uh, it was kind of fun to sort of see him play this play this very, very goofy role, um, but clearly having fun doing it. I mean, obviously he was. He was playing, I mean, he's playing himself basically. And I love that he just has like these little fangs and the most ridiculous outfit the whole time. And I was, again, I didn't know anything about this movie. So at the beginning when I think it's his sister watching wrestling and he's like arguing with her about it. And then the, he comes up in, he's the hooded fang. And I was like, fair. Okay. I appreciate like really leading into the camp of wrestling here in creating our main villain. If we want to consider him a villain, he kind of reminds me of the Cowardly Lion a little bit, honestly. From yeah, the yeah. Was. Totally. I, I bet he was channeling a little bit of that Burt Lahr performance in his like, you know, I feel like he was a little bit. Yeah. I think so too. And and the Wizard of Oz element of the fact that um, there's things that he sees in the store that then and he sees on television that then inform the dream world he goes into. If in fact it's a dream world, you know, so there's a very Oz-like structure. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was a touchstone for for the actor and maybe for the director. I mean, this this definitely has that Oz feel. Minus minus a tornado, everything is very similar up to the very you know ending of of how everyone gets reunited and everything is okay but so I, I think it's i think it's fascinating that this is sort of like this this canadian relic that is also indebted to the works of oz but also kind of gives me a little bit of um gosh the name just left my head the witches um rodal like his type of work like there's a this this idea of of menacing and kids because this is a very small kid that is dealing with this he's two plus two plus two years old he sure is. <laughs> the two two aspect of this movie is um is something because I was like, why I I I was for a long time I was struggling because he's just like I'm Jacob Tutu and I'm like, okay, did you just decide that this is how you speak? What what is what is going on here? And it's just that no adults will listen to him the first time he says he says something, so he gets in the habit of repeating it. It's just. It's sad, actually. It's so sad. And actually, this might be another reason why I really identified with this movie when I was a kid. Because when I was young, I I would say something and then I would whisper it again. I didn't say it out loud the way he says it th twice, but I would say a sentence and then I would whisper it to myself to make sure that I said it correctly. Oh. So I'd be like, it's hot out today. You guys who are listening can't hear, but I just whispered to myself, it's hot out today. Anyway, that's a weird thing, right? At some point, my parents pointed it out to me and then I stopped doing it. But uh, but I don't know, just a weird thing that I had in common with this character. I mean, kids do weird things with that as well. Like just I, I'm, I'm trying to think back because I, I definitely had some some weird ticks. I didn't have an invisible friend, but like definitely some aspects where my mom was like, Hey, you're doing this. You need to stop. It's, yeah. it's, it's, I, I think it's really easy for kids to pick that up. But I also think this movie taps into how scary it is to be a kid because yeah. the, the camera, you're always with him a lot of the time and you're looking up at how big the adults are, which I love. Like 
it really puts you in the kid's shoes and he's a little kid and that repetition like kids don't get listened to and obviously in this they're like oh you're mocking me we're gonna put you in jail kid for being rude to adults and he's like fuck I'm just trying like to get people to hear me and like listen to me I'm just like trying to get what I want because I I think and I was reading he's like the youngest of a bunch of siblings too so he's always saying it thinks twice so we can be heard with his siblings and he's just like really like, it's sad a little bit in my head and I feel like it does kind of show how hard kids try to get listened to but adults just kind of mock them and don't always listen to them when they're right and the speed with which he ran from the cop you know, yes. <laughs> you know he, he pissed off the shopkeeper but when the cops started to come out he was like nope I'm out and I'm Jacob Tutu is no stranger to the police yes. Jacob yes. Tutu so, uh, he's so, acting yeah. out in more ways I, than one I feel like there's some subtext and some backstory we're not getting about the hard life of Jacob Tutu that's led him down this road Yes, you yes, know? because I was like reading a little bit about the book that this was based on by a guy named Mordecai Rickler, which is an incredible name. Anyone with the name Mordecai, I find incredible because it's just such a good name. It was a book that, and he was based in on Jacob is inspired, I think, by his youngest kid and he had five kids. And it seems like this is the movie. And then they made another movie in 1999, I think, with Gary Busey yep, the playing Gary Busey. the Hooded Fang. And then there's a show, a three, I think it's three years it ran. I never heard of any of this. Like, I feel like this feels like a big cultural touch. And it's like, this makes me laugh about things like in Canada, which does not feel very far away, but that just like never make its way down here that are like cultural touch points for the Canadians. Like I work with a guy from Toronto, Josh Corngut, and I'm like asking it. He's like, did you have this in the America? I'm like, I don't know how we didn't, but we don't. And it's just <laughs> yeah. very interesting about like what makes its way either into the U.S. or into Canada. It's very weird. Very interesting. So, Mary Beth, you brought up the way that this this movie is shot. And I that was one thing that like immediately drew me because I, I really enjoyed uh, the, the way that the cinematography would focus from either his perspective or the adults kind of leering down on him. And I discovered that the, the cinematographer, Francois Protat, Protat, I'm not sure how to pronounce the last name, um, was also the cinematographer. He would go on to do Johnny Mnemonic and Weekend at Bernie's. That scans. I feel like that makes sense. Yeah. Johnny yeah. Mnemonic and Jacob Tutu meets the hooded fang. <laughs> well, it's about creating a, um, a, a subjective point of view mm-hmm. and bringing you into somebody else's reality. And I think that he's done that. Yeah, that's true. Did you look up the director as well? Uh, Ted Flicker? I I did not. No. Ted Flicker, apparently, no. according to the internet, at least, I think this is true, co-created the sitcom Barney Miller. I've never seen Barney Miller. He's uh, It's a cop. It's a cop sitcom from the 70s. Okay. He also um, apparently got into some trouble with the FBI. There's a documentary about his life. I have not seen it. But sounds like an interesting cat. Uh, I, I can't imagine this is his, like, pinnacle achievement. Uh, as as memorable as this film is, seems like a work for hire kind of job. But uh, yeah, also an interesting dude who went on to do really wildly unrelated things to this. Yeah, I'm I'm looking through his filmography right now, and it looks like he he did a bunch of um, probably work for hire um, directing for for TV. Like there's a lot of one episode, two episode, three episode type things with the Man from Uncle, the Andy Griffith Show, the Vic Dan, the Dick Van Dyke Show, I Dream of Jeannie. Like these are all like one or two episode directorial things wild fascinating so I, I'm, I'm curious what this movie was is this because is this something that you've you've seen in the intervening years jan or is, was the revisiting yeah. it the first time that you had 
seen it. Yeah, yesterday we rewatched it. It was my first time watching it since I was a young child. And it was crazy because I had I had very clear memories of what I mentioned before, that him having a chocolate bar that he would eat mm-hmm. um, every night. But then in watching it, I was it's like you're having deja vu. Cause yeah. I was like, yeah. oh, I I've, I've seen this before. I know exactly. Oh, now the kids with the child power t-shirts are gonna run into the courtroom. <laughs> And um, now they're going to give him this like, the weird... beards. <laughs> now they're going to give him this weird like lollipop looking thing to put in his ear, and like and the slime monsters and those monsters. As a child, I didn't put together, and then Sean pointed it out yesterday when we were watching that it's a fish and a bird, and I just thought they were scary monsters uh-huh. as a kid. I didn't realize that they were like these just animals. So anyway, as the movie was playing out, I was like, I know what's about to happen, but it's in the deep recesses of my mind. And it felt like deja vu. That's such a weird experience. You're like, I know this, but I don't know this. And it's just, that's very uncanny valley feeling, I bet. The slime patrol I thought was really cool and legitimately scary. Uh, you know, I thought that was a really effective, reminded me of the the, the witch's guard in uh, The Wizard of Oz and and things of that nature. And and uh, Jen mentioned um, uh, Master Fish and Miss Fowl, I believe they're known as. There's also a <laughs> yes. Mr. Fox floating around in there somewhere. I I don't know if you're a Kids in the Hall fan, but I had these uh, flashbacks to the sort of chicken lady from Kids in the Hall and oh Miss Fowl. And I wonder if that was imprint, imprinted in a young Canadian's mind to create that character later on. I was having this the exact same thought um... with um, Moira Rose from Shit's Creek when she goes on to play the mutated crow doctor lady in the crows have eyes i think is what the movie is called in in universe mm-hmm. i don't know if you guys have ever seen Shit's creek but the character that uh that she creates for that was giving me strong mistress foul vibes <laughs> <laughs> so well, they're all probably very aware of this movie yeah i would think so um but it's Sh- sean so this was your first time watching this too what was what was your experience watching this sort of like fever dream of a show of a movie? Um, it was fun. It was like watching somebody else's childhood on the screen, uh, which was mm. kind of neat. Um, and just sort of seeing the the scrappy, low budget inventiveness of them trying to make a whole world with some costumes and some props and let's paint all the kids gray because they don't there's no sun and <laughs> make them work in a coal mine for some reason. <laughs> It's that's crazy. So, it's just crazy. That's so scary. It's so scary that they're all painted gray. Yeah, but oh, but what I was going to say is also when you're a kid watching, like I didn't feel the budget at all as a right. five-year-old oh, yeah. child. But yesterday I was like, whoa, budget. I feel I feel this deeply. It's still like relatively impressive for like a kid's, you know, kids programming never really had a lot of like public access TV stuff, never had budget. So it's like, I can appreciate how very DIY this is as a kid who loved public access television. Like, hell yeah. And how committed every single adult is to those characters. Absolutely. They really are. When Fish and Fowl comes on, I was like, whoa, we are really, we're really going for Mm -hmm. it. One, two, Fish's voice was, is genuinely creepy. The way that like, and, and it's little mannerisms that they would do. Like the fact that, uh foul would be almost like it looks like she was almost doing like a like a march but it's because she has chicken legs and so she is mimicking walking as a chicken or the fish is is walking there and his mouth when he's not talking is just like 
it's like a fish a fish on on land that's just you know gulping for air and so there's like these little tiny character moments that i'm like this is actually quite fascinating and yes the actors had to commit a hundred percent to just portraying the zaniness <laughs> well also mrs fowl looks like kind of like scare the scarecrow and he looks like the tin man too yeah. oh yeah which yeah, so it's very funny that like the villains kind of visually parallel like the hero of our of Wizard of like the Wizard of Oz, but instead here they're the bad guys. Oh yeah, and I thought that was a really interesting. I was like, oh, are they? They're definitely knocking off that, right? And maybe not, but it's just I mean, Fox like gives Golden Lion vibes or the Lion vibes too with his like. His, oh, that's true. His, with his coat, his fur coat, and everything. Yeah, well, yeah. Fang's got the fangs, and is also doing a little bit of the Burt Lar performance. So it's mm-hmm. kind of awkward, split amongst the two. I don't know how child power maps onto any of this Wizard of Oz. I can honestly, okay. no. I don't think Frank that L. Part... Bond ever had two superhero children slash lawyers. I think, um, <laughs> you know, in the wings, waiting to save Dorothy from the from from the witch. But masters of disguise, <laughs> they were like no help actually. Child no. power. I was watching this and my husband walked in and was like, I'm sorry, are those children wearing shirts that say child power? I'm like, yes, they are. And I cannot explain to you really what their purpose is other than giving this young boy directives and holding Fox like hostage by a boat. But yeah, child power. And I think we should all go as that as hot for Halloween next year. Oh man, that would be so amazing. If we could just photograph all of us into child power suits. Yes. Social media when this podcast hits, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, but I yep, also yep, love yep, that there's yep, like yep, an yep. anthem when they get introduced. Like they oh, right. stand there the songs. proudly the preening songs. with like the wind blowing their capes back and their shirt proudly saying "Child Power." And there is a song, and I was like, "This is so kid show." Like this is a quintessential kid moment of like having. That just this this image and the music accompanying it, I just <laughs> I was like, what is happening at that point? The, yeah. the music is very incredible. Also, the Slime Patrol has their theme song too. Every time Slime Patrol comes by, you get the Slime Patrol song, which is so good. And I didn't look this up, but who does the music? Because it's great. It's the it's very Lewis. Lewis Fury. That's a great name. It's from Montreal. It really is. It's so Louis 70. Fury it's exactly. And John Lesour. Lesour? Lesour? Oh, it's- so weirdly enough, the John Lesour, who also composed music for it, would go on to do music for Zack Snyder's The Watchmen. He worked in the music department for Seven. Uh, oh. He worked in the music department for That Thing You Do. So... I'm not really sure what he did with the music. It looks like a bunch of composing. Um, he was a music producer, a ranger for Watchmen. So again, this little this little fever dream of a movie spawned a big career. <laughs> yes. I mean, but like the songs were like composed. Like it felt like a kid yeah. show when you know, like they always like I loved Arthur as a kid. So like they always had like funny song breakdown. So it's like I love when the, this that feels like a fever dream that like is not for a child has like these childlike breakdown, like weird prog rock breakdowns of like control. <laughs> it was like, what? I love it. It's incredible. And again, like for children, hell yeah. Like it very much is like the children show vibe. And I love that. It's just very watching this now is just like, I respect that, especially with a low budget and you having original compositions like that. All right, cool. Yeah. <laughs> 
I want to get that record and just listen to it. Oh, the vinyl's got to be out there somewhere in Canada. Yeah. It's got to be. Right, so the Hooded Fang, his character is so interesting to me because there's there's this element of camp to it, right? When he's first introduced in the wrestling program and he has like the fangs and he is sneering and he has like the the bandana over his his eyes. And then we see him later and he has that affectation that reminds me uh, and remind you, Sean, of, of sort of the, the cowardly lion type feel to it. And he's supposed to be menacing, but there's nothing menacing about him. And I love and I love that that kind of dichotomy that they play with where it's like he's supposed to be the big scary villain. He's introduced in that opening scene as like something that terrifies Jacob and causes him to run out of the out of the living room that his sister is watching. And then we start to see sort of like that he wants to be scary, but there's nothing scary about him. And I just I think it's such an interesting angle that they're playing with here um, that I think is is definitely very it, it brings us in the it, again in the in the perspective of a kid seeing something and being like you're not scary but he's trying so hard to be scary it's just it's an interesting villain aspect that i don't think we see a whole lot in kids movies yeah it's kind of an inverse of the cowardly lion who's scared of everything he's a guy yeah. who wants to scare, scare everything and he gets mad when he doesn't do it uh, and it's interesting that this was jen's scarred for life pick because uh she you know it's about a kid who isn't scared yeah, but he was a kid watching it who was scared. Yep. The other thing is, as an Beth, I'm curious about your what what was going through your mind while watching this because there's a lot. But the thing that I was really surprised by is how kind of dark and insidious it is with with the kids. Like the moment that we see them all gray because they haven't seen the sun, and there's the idea of them just these poor kids just mining coal, and I'm not 100 sure what they're doing with it except maybe creating smog that is like <laughs> again this like. Ouroboros of, of hurting them where they're forced to like mine the shit that's going to make it so that they can't see the sun and it just it's such a weirdly horrifying prospect and I do think that the the movie does a good job of sort of putting you in those kids uh those kids perspectives and the water's on fire remember he's like go take a drink of water and then he, <laughs> he hits it and he's like haha it's on fire and you're like go god I I do And I was thinking about this, like, this is that era of children's programming that wasn't afraid to, like, make kids feel like adults Um, Mm. or, like, treat kids like they're not as delicate. They're not afraid to be scary. They're not afraid to kind of show kids in peril. And it's especially, like, this is wild because it's tech. Like, I don't know if you, I guess Wild Fang, they're trying to show he isn't human, but I just, they all look so human-like. It's hard not to think, like, oh, these humans, like, human adults are putting these human children they've got child slaves basically working the mines and that's fucked and that is like like drawing too many parallels to reality too but i feel like it's supposed to be monsters because he has fangs and a gold chain and doesn't need to worry about seeing the sun but regardless like it is very bleak in a way that so much children's media i feel like is not bleak and that's not necessarily to say that children's media today I've seen a lot of it simply because now like I have cousins and friends having babies Mm -hmm. and I have been exposed to so much more children's media. And I and then but then I watch a lot of like older children's media for this. And I'm like, shit, we really have sanitized a lot of children's programming and like not trying to be like kids were more but were more attuned to scary shit. It's just interesting to see how much we've been like, oh, no, kids can't see how bad things they can't see sad things and can't be exposed to these things. They can't see it. And it's like. To a point, I get that, but kids have 
are smarter than you think. And I think kids have more empathy than people think. And I think these kinds of movies are important for kids to develop and kind of learn that empathy. And think we have that as much anymore and again I'm not totally sure but I don't know it's just it's interesting to see how much that's changed and how movies like this show kids being really strong in these situations and now I feel like people and creators are maybe too nervous to put kids in peril anymore if that makes sense like in mainstream entertainment I'm I know there are plenty of movies in our yeah. genre that love putting kids in peril aka the sacrifice game um <laughs> And when evil lurks and everything, but like mainstream stuff that's like more popular, I feel like is just very much protecting kids more than I Particularly think for is kids. Necessary. And I'm saying this as someone who's not a parent. So like, I don't know for real, like it's probably different when you have kids, but I don't know. Just I can only speak for myself because I'm not a parent, but as a person who grew up with movies like this, with Are You Afraid of the Dark? And then with, you know, watching The Crafts and Scream when I was 10 years old, mm -hmm. like those movies helped me learn about life and about mm -hmm. my own identity. Like the horror genre is a safe place to explore scary things. And mm -hmm. um, and I, I'm so grateful that I had the opportunity to be able to watch these kinds of things as a kid. Yeah. So as you were as you were talking, Mary Beth, I was thinking about the last time a movie that was made for kids like affected me in a in a meaningful way. And I was thinking, I think it's actually I, I believe I honestly I can't remember the number, but I think it was Toy Story 3. Is that the one? Yeah. So at the very end of that movie, if I don't know if you if, if you guys have ever seen the, the movie, but at the very end of the movie, these toys that we love and have followed for three oh, movies yes. are in like an in, are heading toward an incinerator. And it's this like moment where, the, where they all sort of like hold hands as they are. There's no potential for them to be saved, they don't think, as they are moving towards certain destruction and as you were talking here but it's like i think that is the last movie because as an adult i'm of course i'm an adult watching this but because i was 2010 but as i was watching that movie i remember in the theater going this is dangerous this is something that i don't see in a lot of mainstream kids programming anymore and it reminded me back to when i was a kid and you would see um return to oz or you would see you know um Oh, gosh, what's the other one that we there's I'm trying to think never of the other story. movie that never ending story for yes, that one or like, I, I, that's something that I've learned watching doing this podcast and revisiting movies from the 80s, visiting movies from the 70s and into the 90s that were made for kids is there's an element of danger that I don't necessarily think is in a lot of kids programming today. And I'm I'm curious as to why maybe it's because it's so much easier for kids to see violence outside, you know, their their door anymore. There's you know, it's easy to get access to the Internet, whereas I was completely sheltered from that as a kid. And so I'm wondering if like why, why that's that's happening. It's something that always like sticks in my mind whenever we talk about these movies for kids from yesteryear. Bring back Courage the Cowardly Dog is all I'm saying. <laughs> that was my that was shit a as a series. kid. This, this uh, is what the uh, the older kid down the block or the older brother is for, is to make sure that the kids today find their way to the material they're not supposed to have, as we would say in the sacrifice game, the books they don't want you to read. Yeah. You know, that, that, cause you need, you need a little bit of a taste of that. Sometimes at a slightly too early age, I think to really sort of, you know, 
test your own limits and sort of learn things about yourself and then push yourself further to to, to see things that you, you maybe aren't comfortable seeing, but benefit from seeing. Yeah. And I will say as someone who like was in middle and high school and like my space was growing, like I definitely mm. saw some fucked up shit on the internet at a young age too. Like, I don't know how that factors into how like mainstream kids media has changed, but Jesus, like kids really do have access to like the craziest stuff easily. Now I saw so many things I shouldn't have seen. I mean, I was watching horror movies too at a young age, so it didn't. I didn't think it really mattered. But she turned yeah. out great, so it all worked out exactly. Yeah, it depends on who you ask. My family's like, all of that <laughs> shit made you do this. I'm like, well, I have a job and an apartment, and I'm married, so like, it's been great. What more do you want? Yeah, exactly. What more do you want? Um, but yeah, grandkids. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's get. Uh, Let's get free healthcare in this country and um, universal maternal leave and a few other things, and we'll talk about grandkids. Exactly. Yeah. Jesus. Exactly. Um, is there anything you want to hit before we wrap up and give this our rating out of five? Do you want to talk quickly about how we realized that Jacob realized this is a dream, or was it a dream? Do we think this was so a dream? I kind of tying into that, I am curious what what this movie is trying to say in terms of like the prison industrial complex. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> They're it trying, is, of, though. It is about that. I think they're trying to say that the Frank Obama state can't sue me if I change enough details. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's yeah, what they're yeah, trying yeah, to say. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think so. I think you're right. Because <laughs> some of this reminded me, like, particularly when Fowl and Fish are leading Jacob through, like, this horror show. Like, it's leading through, like, a haunted house. And it reminded me of, like, the, the kind of hell houses, the Christian morality things, where it's like, this is what is awaiting for you in hell like that is that is the feeling i was getting as we we're taking a tour of this under this underworld of of horrors and i'm like okay so this is giving me sort of like morale like a kid's moral tale because that's what i'm you know a lot of kids movies is all about teaching immoral and i'm like what is the moral that this is trying to teach but i i'm not 100 sure that there is one except that like he's not listened to as a kid he is immediately presumed guilty instead of innocent i did love that 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 uh trial scene where it's like adults are are innocent until proven guilty but kids you are guilty until you can prove yourself innocent and i was like that is such a an interesting way of of presenting the fact that kids are always being blamed for issues like it's like oh my gosh who who broke this or did you break this or that kind of thing like when you look at at the way that the the world is is foisted on kids it does feel that way and so I was like, Terry, there's some interesting things here. Terry, you're making me think, is this really just the grade school version of Pink Floyd's The Wall? Oh, my oh, God. <laughs> the justice system, cruel to, cruel to the young generation. Adults can't be trusted. It's, just another brick in the wall. Yeah. The elementary school version. <laughs> but honestly, like, it kind of is. I, I Honestly, you say that, I'm like, wait, a it sounds silly, but it. It might just work, actually. <laughs> I mean, none of the adults in, in his dream world are, are they all hate children. Yeah. Like, like they don't just like, you know, want to punish the bad children. They hate all children. Mm -hmm. They want to, they want to sabotage the, the puzzles and the model kits. <laughs> that was so funny, by the way, how their sabotage is like switching puzzle pieces in between games. Yes. And the science lab kit where none of the experiments will none work. Experiments are going to work. <laughs> But yeah, that like it, I guess it's it. It really feels like it's a kid's world point of view. So maybe it doesn't mm -hmm. have an adult moral, but maybe it's just trying to live in the space that 
kids live in where they feel like kids are their allies and adults are maybe not their enemies, but definitely not trustworthy. I It definitely felt like a fuck them adults kind of movie. Like, I know we talk yeah. about fuck them kids, but this one very much feels like, <laughs> hey, kids, like, you're not alone. Like, don't worry. We we understand because we were also kids. Like, sometimes you just want to see a movie where, like, you you see a kid prevail over adults being dickheads. And, like, that's kind of what it felt like. And I like that, though, because I don't think kids get a lot of that, like, hey, sometimes adults just suck. And, like, you're not alone in thinking that adults just suck. And it was it felt like that kind of movie. Like, the moral of the story is, hey, kid, sometimes adults just don't listen to kids. And you're not wrong for thinking that's rude, but it happens. That's like kind of what it felt like a little bit. Yeah. And the one redeemed villain is redeemed because he's really a big kid at heart. Big kid at heart. And I also think that part of it is also like say, hey, like sometimes adults have to act a certain way, but a lot of the time they're just trying to figure it out. So like I, maybe that mm. a little bit too, like sometimes adults aren't as scary as you think they are, but it definitely felt like a kid's point of view. Like, hey, sometimes you have to fight the fucking system, which honestly, this movie feels like a fight the system movie in and of itself. Like yes. <laughs> sometimes you just got to fight it from within and fight and create prison reform for the coal mining children of the smog town and fight the weird adults <laughs> and the slime squad that rule over you with an iron fist. Yeah. Put that on a t-shirt. Hell yeah. <laughs> I will. I do think that there's something there because there's also like a coming of age aspect to this too, where it's like once Jacob Tutu is being listened to and like is able to command space, he stops being the tutu he stops having to repeat himself because people are listening to him and he's kind of come into his own it's sort of i don't know it just it felt weird that that we have like the dream sequence over and then he is just hugged by his entire family a, a very large family who then run off into the into the park together holding hands yeah <laughs> just like it's like this whole time the test <laughs> this whole time they were probably on the search for their missing child who knows how long he's been gone for. And uh, it's kind of like, yeah, you guys should should appreciate me or else I might go into other lands. I will it's like, cross the street and disobey you and then I will get lost in a in the prison industrial complex. <laughs> like, do you do you remember from a Christmas story the when he would have those like fantasies about what would happen if like he something like what his parent like how people would react like if he his parents made him eat the soap and he goes blind and he's like imagining them like being so sorry that's kind of reminds me of this movie of him being like well what if i was gone in a pile of leaves and you couldn't see me anymore like it's just gives me that vibe also huh. i just i also just want to fall asleep in a pile of leaves in a park it did look comfy at the end of wizard of oz they're all you know feeling close to her too wanting to be close to her like oh dorothy you're we love you but beforehand they're all too busy with their farm work yeah, ever to pay attention to her it, and it, Jacob. Oh, yeah, it's it is kind of that like if the parents watching it like hey don't take your kid for granted asshole like i feel like it kind of speaks to that a little bit too like <laughs> don't don't ignore your child please like you give them a little bit belong. of attention just wanted to belong and his entire family is like uh you're too young for me oh you're too young for all of this people in that family and nobody could take two minutes to have a conversation with him and it's a bold screenwriter who introduces like two two siblings in the opening scene of the movie who we don't see until the last like 15 seconds Mm -hmm. of the movie again yep there's Um, no like foil and like the dream world for the siblings at all like they're just 
Except for well, except for the child power. Oh, the child, the child power, power yes. is uh the child is power the two. Kids, yeah, we do do come the back. two sword fighting kids from the beginning, but that's that's about. Oh, that's I right. Think that's it. He's getting sentenced to jail. I don't even was his family in the in the in the courtroom. I don't think they even showed up for his trial. <laughs> Nope. The prison industrial complex. We've been talking about it since Jacob Tutu meets the hooded fang in the 70s, guys, in Canada. So um, on that note, uh, do we want to wrap this up and give this a rating out of five? It sounds good to me. All right, Terry, you are up first. How many slime patrols out of five or slime squads? Pardon me. Slime squads out of five do you give Jacob Tutu meets the hooded fang? You know, it's, it's just hard because like this is definitely made for kids and it is definitely like watching this in 2023 from from when it was made in the in the late 70s late 70s right yeah 78 you know there's you can see the seams you can see like the fact that this is like cobbled together just with like duct tape and whimsy but there's something about this that i just i don't know i just i felt really drawn to it was it definitely horrified me in some ways that I was not expecting with with some of the way that it, it kind of reduced you to that kid state of of like this is a kid that he's not doing anything wrong but all the parents are like all the all the adults are like you're making fun of me you're doing this you're always wrong no 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 and so I think that there's an interesting thing there that actually brought me back to being a kid kind of and it really did a good job of placing me back at, at like that that age of watching this so i i don't know i think this is um this isn't something i'm going to revisit a whole lot but like there's something here so i have to give it i think i'm going to give it three and a half slime squads it's it's a it's a fun movie that is two steps away from oz at, at, <laughs> at least if you kind of squint and and look at it funny what about you mary beth i think i also give it three and a half for a movie that I'd never heard of, that was like a psychedelic <laughs> question mark. Uh, again, it did bring me back to like the weird shit I'd watch on public access TV mm -hmm. and like a little bit of Mr. Rogers, too, I think, because of like somehow the puppets and this yeah. somehow reminded me of each other in terms of just like these fantasy worlds. And I loved being brought back to that, but also it, being painfully aware of how creepy the adults were. And strange it was. But yeah, three and a half. I'm glad I've seen it and now can keep spreading the gospel of this Canadian classic into the States. So thank you to Sean and Jen, but mostly Jen for remembering for and Jen for seeing this and Sean for digging it out of her subconscious in a Google search. Um, and on that note, uh, Jen, we'll start with you. What is your rating out of five for Jacob Tutu and the, Jacob Tutu meets the Hooded Fang? Sorry, I keep saying it has to be five, but I'm biased. <laughs> and it's only because this is such a big part of my soul. But I'm going to go with five. Uh, and I'm going to go with the consensus and say also three and a half. I think it's a really cool. fun watch. I was never bored. I never wanted to turn it off and do something else. I think do it as a double feature with Skin and Rink. On this sort of Canadian slide oh down yes. into childhood nightmare, start start with Jacob Jacob Tutu and then watch Skin and to really lose yourself. Or if you prefer, watch Skin and and really fuck your brain, and then kind of pull yourself out gently with Jacob Tutu. That is an inspired double yeah, feature. That's an inspired double feature. I have feature. to say, mm -hmm. gotta get Kyle out every ball on the show and see, see if he's seen it. There you go. <laughs> I'm gonna sleep I'm gonna text him <laughs> and be like, "Wait, have you seen this? Yeah, I know. I'm gonna be like, "Wait, hold on, have you seen this?" <laughs> Well, thank you both so much for joining us to talk about and introduce us to this movie. Um, where can our listeners find you on social media? And the floor is yours to plug away. I am on Instagram and my username is at bubblegum and blood. 
And the movie The Sacrifice Game is also on Instagram at The Sacrifice Game. Uh, I am at The Redlitz, T-H-E-R-E-D-L-I-T-Z on most social platforms. Please watch The Sacrifice Game on Shutter. And while you're there, why not check out The Ranger, which I had nothing whatsoever to do with, also directed by the lovely Jennings. It's real good. I love um, the queer punks in, in The Ranger. They're oh, my yeah. favorite. Queer punks forever. Favorite. Queer girls forever. Um, so listeners, you've heard from us. We want to hear from you. Did any of you see Jacob Tucci meets the Hooded Fang? Any version, honestly? No, I'm like just curious about the entire like existence of this franchise slash character. And if you did, where in, where in Canada are you from? Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or you can reach out to us on social media. I am at mbmcandrews on Twitter and at mb.mcandrews on Instagram. And I'm a gaily dreadful everywhere. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on social media. We are on Twitter and Blue Sky at Scarred Podcast and at Scarred for Life Podcast on Instagram. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. And if you want to help support us, we do have a Patreon. Thank you, Derek Carr, for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But of course, but more importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. <laughs>